chapter eleven of wild bird guests by ernest baines this librivox recording is in the public domain some of the problems which confront beginners the writer does not begin this chapter without realizing the magnitude of the task which would confront any one who undertook to give in detail remedies for all the ills which birds are heir to even were he able to cope with such a task it would be impossible in a book of anything like this size to do so but he knows from the letters of inquiry which he receives that there are many people who seek just a few opinions just a few suggestions from someone who has had even a little more experience than they have had and whom they feel will be working along with them for the welfare of their mutual friends the birds it is principally for these and such as these that this chapter is written storms there seems to be little we can do to prevent birds from being killed as a direct result of storms we have already spoken of the planting of evergreens as shelter and such local protection is valuable as far as it goes we have also spoken of the feeding of birds in winter and after late spring storms floods caused by heavy rains and which result in the destruction of nests upon the ground within the flooded area might it would seem be prevented in many cases by a simple drain which would carry off the surplus water waterfalls speaking of the swans which went over niagara falls in nineteen o eight mr james savage in a report to the buffalo society of natural sciences concludes while the killing of the wounded swans at the ice bridge in a certain light might be regarded as an act of mercy inasmuch as without human interference most of the birds would probably have perished from their injuries or by starvation yet it is greatly to be regretted that as many of the birds as possible were not taken alive and given an opportunity to recover i believe that fully one-third of the one hundred and sixteen swans taken would have survived if given the proper care but the impulse to kill was stronger than the spirit to save and not even a pair of these unfortunate birds was rescued from nature's doom and restored to nature's freedom the injured swan seen in our illustration was secured by mr savage half an hour after it was picked up at bass rock eddy it could not stand or use its wings but nevertheless he took it to buffalo and placed it under the care of the curator of the zoo in delaware park it quickly recovered and was soon floating gracefully on the waters at park lake the writer believes that the importance of saving as many as possible of the swans which are wounded by coming over niagara is out of all proportion to the number of bird lives actually involved the size and majesty of these kings of the waterfowl together with the dramatic nature of the disaster which has overtaken them ensures a wide publicity which may be made either to help or injure the cause of bird protection here are glorious world-famous birds which are braving the dangers of a long journey to their arctic home and which have even survived a battle with one of the mightiest cataracts on earth to permit these voyagers while they are bruised and battered and still struggling bravely but hopelessly with the savage waters of the gorge to be dragged out upon the ice and choked or bludgeoned to death is highly demoralizing 
as much to those who permit the barbarous practice as to the young men who murder the helpless birds for money would it not be a noble work for the boy scouts with permission from the authorities of course to organize a first-aid corps to save the swans wounded by going over niagara falls the scouts could arrange to patrol the river bank at certain points during the brief period in march when the swans usually come over take the birds from the water and convey them to some suitable place where they would have every chance to recover and later to continue their journey northward dead birds instead of being plucked and eaten might be sent to museums and to scientific collectors in the united states and canada to become of permanent value as skins or mounted specimens such a corps would set a splendid example and its work would become widely known disease individual scientists here and there though usually hampered by lack of sufficient funds are doing splendid work in their investigation of the causes of disease in birds and in their search for methods of prevention and cure but a great epidemic like the one which has recently caused such havoc among the waterfowl of utah usually requires prompt and vigorous action by the government at the outbreak of any epidemic of disease among birds the person discovering it should at once notify the bureau of animal industry at washington district of columbia and await instructions from that bureau if on investigation by the bureau the epidemic threatens to be serious congress will probably be asked to appropriate a fund with which to carry on the work of stamping out the disease natural enemies on very large preserves devoted to the protection of birds and other wildlife a few natural enemies may be an advantage most of them eat a variety of food and the birds which they get will often be the weaklings those which are not quite healthy or which in one way or another fail to come up to the standard but on a small place especially one which it is designed to make particularly attractive to birds i should say the fewer enemies there are the better on such a place a fox a pair of red squirrels a house cat or a sharp shinned hawk will be likely to prevent a normal increase of the bird population yet to many of us the very hardest task we have to perform for our friends the birds is the killing of their enemies it is always a sad thing to fire a gun at a sharp shinned or cooper's hawk which but a moment before perhaps has been sailing far above the earth a beautiful creature doing nothing more wicked than looking for his dinner and bring him crashing down to his death neither does one enjoy killing a red squirrel every line of whose muscular little body is beautiful every motion graceful and whose only sin is the eating of a few fresh birds eggs for breakfast if we are thoughtful we shall probably ask ourselves some questions such as are sharp-shinned hawks squirrels cats skunks and other bird enemies to blame for what they do when they simply act as nature intended that they should but if we are reasonable and honest we must try to answer such questions truthfully of course these animals are no more to blame for what they do than wolves are to blame for killing sheep foxes for killing hens or tigers for killing men but we should hardly blame a shepherd for shooting a wolf if it threatened his sheepfold we should think a farmer rather stupid if he permitted foxes to destroy his hens year after year without making an attempt to stop them 
and if a man were killed by a tiger which he had refused to have killed i am afraid that some of us would be rude enough to say served him right man's status upon this earth is based on the assumption that he has the right to regulate in so far as he is able the status of every other animal with which he has relations unless we deny the right of this assumption and permit ourselves to be dominated by the wild animals we must to be consistent protect the useful birds from their to us less useful enemies on large tracts devoted to the preservation of birds one way to get rid of their natural enemies is to employ one or more men part of whose duty it should be to shoot and trap another way is to give some local trapper the privilege of clearing the place of vermin where traps are used it should be stipulated that they be visited frequently such work should not be entrusted to boys or to any but reliable men on a small place one man with a gun can without devoting much time to the work do a great deal toward keeping it free from bird enemies for example i know one new hampshire man who with a twenty two caliber rifle has for years kept his home farm of a hundred acres clear of red squirrels house cats and european sparrows reduced the chipmunk population as much as seemed necessary and who has shot several sharp shinned and cooper's hawks and two northern shrikes the same man has shot practically all the red squirrels in the nearby village of meriden and with the help of one other man has cleared the village of european sparrows most of the latter were shot but a few were caught in a sparrow trap both of these men lead very busy lives one is a doctor the other a writer but by carrying their guns occasionally while going about their work they have been able to free the local birds of nearly all their natural foes it has been the experience of men who have made determined effort to rid a given place of such bird enemies that the task becomes increasingly easy in meriden for example about two hundred red squirrels were shot the first year perhaps fifty the second and now the shooting of half a dozen squirrels a year is all that is necessary in spite of the fact that the village is full of trees and is surrounded by woodland european sparrows it was the same with the sparrow problem at first meriden was like any other sparrow infested village the pests were everywhere and nest boxes put up for native births were at once appropriated by the intruders a couple of guns began to speak and spoke at intervals for perhaps three or four weeks after that they spoke less and less frequently until at length they were silent what european sparrows had not been shot had sought a milder climate but there is a town full of them seven miles to the north and a village full of them four miles to the south and about once a year a flock of twenty or thirty drift into meriden at once guns are fired in honour of their arrival and those which are able to leave generally do so without even stopping to say good-bye occasionally a few will stay about the village for a day or two but it is no use they are simply not allowed to get a foothold and while i am on this subject let me say that the work of exterminating the european sparrow is not for children it is hard work unpleasant work and should be done by real men who know the bird from all others and who are prepared to camp on its trail until there isn't a specimen left in the locality any other course is generally a waste of time it may give temporary relief but the work has to be done all over again and any cruelty which may be involved must be repeated at the next trial clear the town thoroughly just once and thereafter it will be comparatively easy to keep it cleared 
don't attempt to get rid of sparrows by tearing down the nests an infant should realize the futility of this method the birds will have another nest built before you're up next morning and will play the game with you about once a day during the rest of their long nesting season kill the birds and your work is done once and for all dead sparrows make no nests the principal methods employed to destroy european sparrows are trapping shooting and poisoning of these trapping is the safest and poisoning the most effective when large numbers of birds are to be disposed of in farmers bulletin four ninety three united states department of agriculture written by mr ned dearborn and entitled the english sparrow as a pest there are some excellent suggestions for trapping and detailed plans for making sparrow traps and there are some fairly good traps on the market in most of these traps the birds are caught uninjured and must be disposed of afterwards this makes it possible to liberate any other birds which may be caught unintentionally almost any kind of small grain wheat oats cracked corn or bird seed will do to bait a sparrow trap and it should be kept baited all the time the following directions for poisoning sparrows are given by professor clifton f hodge based on the results of his own careful and successful experiments and are the best i know of dissolve one-eighth of an ounce of powdered strychnine sulphate in one-half pint of boiling water pour this while hot over two quarts of wheat or cracked corn stir well and continue stirring from time to time until all the liquid is absorbed dry thoroughly without scorching and put away in some safe receptacle labelled poisoned grain strychnine it requires but one kernel to kill a sparrow a quart of wheat contains about twenty-three thousand kernels and as a sparrow seldom takes more than two or three you have enough to rid the neighbourhood of about twenty thousand sparrows expose the grain where poultry and tame pigeons cannot get it and by operating only during the winter there will be no danger of poisoning seed-eating wild birds at least for all northern towns and cities by taking advantage of the sparrows gregarious habits and the fact that they drive off other birds from localities where they are numerous much might be done even in the south sparrows are such suspicious and cunning birds that if the strychnine grain be exposed at first they will probably roll each kernel in their bills taste it reject it and possibly refuse to touch it again that winter the best way is to select a safe place where the wind is not likely to scatter it a walk driveway or a porch roof with a smooth surface so that the grain may be swept up after each trial accustom them to feeding there daily with grain exactly like that which is medicated i often do this for a week or even a month until all the sparrows in the neighbourhood are wont to come regularly study the times when they come for their meals and then on a cold dry morning after a heavy snowstorm having swept up all the good grain the night before wait until they have gathered and then put down enough strychnized grain to feed the entire flock you have about ten minutes before any begin to drop and those that have not partaken of the grain by this time will probably be frightened off but by timing it properly i have repeatedly caught every sparrow in the flock i have found the morning the best time as they all come then and it is essential to success to select a dry day since in wet weather they taste the strychnine too quickly i have seen them actually throw it out of the crop with this simple method at command by concerted action a few friends of our native birds can rid any northern city of the sparrow pest in a single winter this is no more than parents ought to be willing to do if not for the sake of the native birds at least to clear the way for the children to do effective work in their behalf 
the shotgun too may sometimes be very useful in the war on sparrows in sparsely settled districts it may generally be used without danger and the other birds are only temporarily frightened by the noise if the sparrows are accustomed to feeding in densely packed flocks around small heaps of grain a great many may be killed at one discharge of the weapon the gun is also very useful for gathering in here and there single birds which have become too wary for trap or poison when there is an opportunity to shoot only one of several birds the gunner should select a female for obvious reasons a preponderance of males is said to further the work of extermination almost any town or city can be cleared of european sparrows and kept clear of them if just a few men of resource and resolution will undertake the work in almost any town there are a certain number of men who have made a great success in business and i know and they know that if the sparrows had stood between any one of them and the success he has made there would not be a single sparrow in that town crows it would probably be unwise to exterminate the crows even where some individuals are addicted to nest robbing such individuals should of course be shot if possible and even a general thinning out may be advisable but crows are very intelligent and interesting birds and the writer for one would miss them sadly if they were all gone nevertheless we must have consideration for the farmer and try to help him to prevent the pulling of his corn and other grain by the crows a single dead crow hung up by the feet in a conspicuous place usually makes the best kind of a scarecrow and will protect a considerable area of ground one of the most effective methods of preventing the pulling of corn is to give the corn a thin coating of tar there are several ways of doing this one of the best is to soak the corn in water until it begins to germinate and then stir in enough tar to give each kernel a thin coating some farmers simply moisten the corn with warm water before stirring in the tar if the latter is applied while the corn is dry it is said to retard germination two or three days after the grain has been coated it is usually rolled in plaster wood ashes or similar absorbent before planting the only objection to this is that it prevents the use of the planting machine a little experimenting would probably result in the discovery of a method to which there were no objections cats the house-cat problem is one of the hardest with which the bird-lover has to contend the genuine affection which many people have for cats the enormous numbers and wide distribution of the animals and the fact that they have a certain value as destroyers of rats and mice all tend to increase the difficulty of solving the problem but the very difficulty should strengthen our determination to solve it for its solution is of very great consequence personally the writer has no faith in the idea of training cats as mr forbush says there are some cats which may be trained not to kill birds but it is the writer's belief that they are few fewer still are the owners who possess the inclination the time and the very considerable knowledge necessary to train them neither has the writer much faith in the belling of cats innocent young birds which are often the victims pay no attention to a bell and though adult birds may often be saved by the warning tinkle so will the rats and mice to destroy which the cats are presumably kept confinement is certainly effective and cat owners should resort to this method to whatever extent is necessary to prevent their pets from killing birds if the cat owner will think the matter over very calmly he will realize that his neighbor has certain rights which should be respected rights which his neighbor should if necessary insist on having respected the right to do his duty by protecting our native birds for instance a cat owner who persists in balking a neighbor who is unselfishly striving to do his duty in this way simply because it may be pleasant or convenient to keep cats 
places himself in an absolutely untenable position he has no more right to do it than he has to keep a savage dog at large and thus prevent his neighbour from voting personally i insist on my rights in this matter my bird guests are and always will be assured of the fullest protection i can give them furthermore cats are not allowed in the bird sanctuary which is under my management it would be a crime to lure songbirds to a supposed haven of refuge and then permit them to be mangled by cats when a cat crosses the boundary of our bird sanctuary he automatically signs his own death warrant all the neighbours know this and take care of such cats as they consider worth keeping most of them realise the justice of the stand which is taken and when a cat disappears no questions are asked some people may argue suppose cats do kill birds haven't cats as much right to live as the birds perhaps they have but since many a cat destroys a hundred birds in the course of its life sometimes in one year of its life we must change the question a little and ask has a cat a hundred times as much right to live i think even an ardent cat lover will hesitate before answering yes to this question and if he does answer yes some people may find it very hard to agree with him no sensible person would advocate the extermination of cats but i do believe that a serious effort should be made to get rid of unnecessary ones there are many people owning a number of these animals who could get along perfectly well with one and many of the people each of whom has one cat too dearly beloved to give up who might without serious sacrifice resolve that when it died they would never replace it entirely apart from their relation to our songbirds there is another vital reason for keeping the cat population of this country down to the minimum the evidence against the domestic cat as a carrier of disease appears to be increased by every investigation of this subject by competent people any lengthy discussion of the matter would be quite out of place in a bird book but the writer feels it his duty to say just enough to make intelligent owners of cats wish to know a little more concerning the cat as a factor in sanitary science the fact that cats carry and transmit bubonic plague is well established there is also positive proof that cats are subject to tuberculosis and diphtheria that they are very susceptible to scabies and may transmit this disease to dogs cows horses and men that they are subject to pulmonary dystomatosis which is characterized by coughing and hemorrhage of the lungs and that they are frequently infected with ringworm blood flukes and other unpleasant and dangerous diseases the writer is inclined to believe that the fondling of cats by children may be the source of many of the seemingly mysterious cases of illness where the little patients have not been exposed to the diseases from which they suffer any one wishing to learn more about this subject should first obtain from the biological department of clark university a copy of the cat and the transmission of disease by dr c a osborne if they wish to go still farther they will find in the back of dr osborne's pamphlet a list of thirty-two other books and pamphlets bearing more or less on this very important matter but after all it would seem that the best and fairest solution of the cat problem lay in a reasonable tax similar to that levied upon the owners of dogs if there were a tax of say one dollar for each male cat and five dollars for each female hundreds of thousands of birds would be saved the sufferings of innumerable homeless cats would be prevented and without injury to any one granting that it is necessary for some people to keep one or more cats as a check upon the rats and mice surely any real necessity is worth one dollar a year the proposed tax on a male cat which is said to be more than the equal of the female as a destroyer of rodents the result of such a tax would be that every person who really needed a cat would be able to keep one for a nominal fee but that when such a fee was required few people would keep more cats than were necessary it would undoubtedly result in a great reduction in the number of female cats 
and consequently a reduction in the number of unnecessary cats brought into the world as a result of a similar tax on dogs there is just one female dog in our own village there are scores of female cats the writer fails to see any legitimate objection which can be made to imposing such a tax all humane persons and especially cat lovers should welcome such a measure first because it would at once give the cat a legal status which it does not now enjoy and at the same time prevent the misery now suffered by hundreds of thousands of unnecessary and sadly neglected cats many of which get their revenge on thoughtless humanity in the country by destroying useful birds and in the city by preventing peaceful slumber and surely all dealers in cats should be favourable to such taxation because the demand for the high-grade cats which they breed would be increased owing to the great reduction in the supply of common cats and because there would be a tendency to own a cat worth paying a tax on then from the money derived from this tax there might be employed in each town an officer or officers whose duty it was to be informed of the number of cats owned by each family and to humanely destroy all cats not licensed according to law it would seem that intelligent people everywhere cat lovers and bird lovers alike should get together and discuss this question calmly and without prejudice or bitterness and see if they cannot help one another out of course no cat lover likes to have a favourite cat shot or trapped or poisoned and no bird lover can be happy if a cat is permitted to mangle and torture the gentle feathered guests who come to the garden and orchard it is unneighbourly to kill one's neighbour's cat but just as unneighbourly to permit a cat to kill one's neighbour's birds let us be neighbourly and work together to devise a reasonable plan whereby it may be possible to have what cats are necessary with the minimum danger to the birds and let us begin at once for as frank m chapman sums up the situation the most important problem confronting bird protectors to-day is the devising of proper means for the disposition of the surplus cat population in this country dogs dogs are seldom very destructive to birds this is due partly to the fact that they do not climb partly to the fact that their method of hunting is not as a rule well adapted to the capturing of creatures endowed with flight and partly to the fact that they are more directly under the control of their masters nevertheless some dogs are notorious bird killers and when it is shown that they cannot be controlled they should be given a painless death in the interest of the many birds whose lives would otherwise be taken forestry and bird conservation it goes without saying that every effort to save the forests is indirectly an effort to save the birds the relation between birds and trees is such that each one tends to preserve the other forestry in one sense then means bird conservation so bird lovers should always be willing to lend a hand in the work of saving the forests the planting of trees and shrubs should be encouraged everywhere the planting of hedges should also be encouraged this form of fencing is beautiful permanent and very attractive to birds farmers can help the work by sparing the trees and shrubs which grow naturally by the sides of the roads and lanes by cutting these down they may gain a few inches of unshaded land but they mar the beauty of the countryside and drive away the birds whose services they need and farmers should find time to do a little planting on purpose for the birds there are on almost every farm waste places which could gradually be filled up with trees and shrubs and creepers which would ensure the presence of many birds useful to the farmer if properly selected these would often save the cultivated fruits which certain birds are so fond of forest fires the desire to protect birds should be another incentive to take every precaution to prevent forest fires and to quickly check and extinguish those which have not been prevented owners and managers of bird preserves will do well to consult the best authorities on the subject of preventing and fighting forest fires 
in one night a fire may undo the work of years and fire wardens when asked for permission to burn over certain areas for any purpose should always give due consideration to the probable effect upon the bird population not only of the area in question but of the town in which it is situated lighthouses in order to prevent the loss of bird life which occurs about our lighthouses every year perhaps we cannot do better than to follow the plan carried out by the royal society for the protection of birds at st catherine's isle of wight and at several other lighthouses on the english coast it seems that the birds do not as a rule kill themselves by dashing against the lighthouse as was at first supposed but by fluttering about it until they fall to the ground from sheer exhaustion it has been found that if bird rests or perches are arranged above and below the light as pictured here the fluttering birds will find them perch on them until morning and then go on their way unharmed the chief drawback seems to be the expense of installing the bird rests but with the vast number of friends which the birds now have in this country this expense could hardly be prohibitive market gunning and plume hunting as for market gunning and plume hunting they are in many places already things of the past where they still exist the writer believes that they should be done away with at once as professions detrimental to the best interests of the people the men engaged in these pursuits often have valuable knowledge of the birds and their habits and this knowledge may sometimes be turned to good account a reform gunner if honest may make the best kind of a game warden sportsmen the term sportsman in its very best sense is practically synonymous with gentlemen both stand for the spirit of fair play and decent conduct with the true sportsman therefore we can find no fault he takes no unfair advantage of the wild things whether the law permits him to or not he prides himself on small bags rather than on large ones and does not shoot at all when for any reason game is becoming scarce he does his best to secure good game laws and to see that they are enforced and to encourage the establishment of game refuges and bird sanctuaries public and private so-called sportsmen unfortunately there is a large body of so-called sportsmen or perhaps we should say self-styled sportsmen who constitute one of the most difficult problems with which the bird protector has to contend to be sure some of them obey the letter of the law but they lack the fine sensibilities of the gentleman which restrain the true sportsman when his reason and sense of justice tell him that a law is inadequate they are often selfish and inconsiderate how unfair it seems when we realize that if you and i own farms adjoining a third farm owned by one of these men and if there are thirty quail on the three farms he can take his gun and shoot not only his ten but your ten and my ten as well in spite of our earnest protests surely we have as much right to our share of these birds alive as he has to his share dead especially as the living quail are performing valuable service for the community and are the ones from which future generations of quail would come but we are not allowed to have them alive if we want them at all we must take a gun and kill them and kill them soon before our neighbor the self-styled sportsman can get them looking at the matter from another standpoint it is dishonest to cause our wild birds to diminish in numbers or to permit others to cause such diminution in the wild birds our ancestors have left us a valuable property which if we are honest we shall pass on undiminished to the next generation in the matter of game birds we are perhaps entitled to the interest that is the increase but not one bird more we cannot take more without literally stealing it from those who come after us it is not ours to take to concede that we have the right to take ever so small a percentage beyond the natural increase of any species 
means the extermination of that species and any schoolboy with a pencil and paper can prove it the passage of the famous federal migratory bird law is already bringing relief to many of the harassed birds and its good effect will be greatly increased when we secure a treaty with great britain providing for the protection of all birds that migrate between the united states and canada in addition we should see to it that closed seasons are provided for all game birds in any given locality that are not more than holding their own and for other game birds open seasons short enough and bag limits small enough to absolutely prevent the decrease of those birds by shooting ignorant foreigners in order to deal most effectively with the ignorant foreigners we should first by setting a good example show them the love we have for our native birds we must let them know by notices printed in their own languages that we have laws which protect our birds and that there are penalties for the breaking of these laws and usually there is in every colony of foreigners at least one man of some influence who has been here longer than the rest who is better educated speaks english and who is looked up to as a counsellor and friend by his fellow-countrymen it is often wise to ask the cooperation of this man who should be glad to work with us to prevent his friends from getting themselves into serious trouble through the violation of our laws the editors of papers which circulate among these people should always be willing to help and all contractors employing foreigners should by the terms of their contracts or otherwise be made responsible for the safety of the birds in the localities where their men are working illustrated lectures on the protection of birds if really convincing are apt to do a lot of good some time ago the writer tried the experiment of giving a lecture before the members of a colony of italian workmen and their wives and children the lecture was given in english of which the audience knew little or nothing but by a logical series of pictures accompanied by gestures and changes in the tone of the voice they were made to follow the speaker with intelligent interest which was manifested by their earnest and animated conversations during and after the lecture the members of that audience have been especially active in the killing of birds but their american instructors believe that the lecture has had a markedly good effect upon them the worst offender in the audience came to his teacher next morning and volunteered the promise that he would never kill another bird ignorant whites and negroes in the south the problem of the ignorant whites and negroes of the south is of course a serious one but by no means unsolvable the closing of the markets for the sale of birds will do much to discourage the slaughter which has characterized many of the southern states a stiff gun license would save the birds from an army of tattered pot hunters who now rake the fields and woods and might be the means of making self-respecting citizens out of some of these shiftless hand-to-mouth people but after all it would be the education of the rising generation which will have the most lasting effect teachers both white and colored can perform a valuable service to their country by fixing in the minds of their pupils the importance of protecting our birds mr e a quarles an officer in the american game protective and propagation association himself a southerner speaks most highly of the teachers in the southern schools and especially of the colored teachers and colored people should be encouraged to have their own bird clubs colored boys and girls can be taught to make nesting boxes and bird baths and to plant trees and shrubs and after they have become interested in this sort of work the desire to kill will occupy smaller and smaller space in their hearts and the churches not only in the south but all over the country might fittingly take a part in this much-needed work i would suggest the observance of what might be called bird sunday on which the attention of every congregation in the country might be called to the beauty and usefulness of birds and the importance of protecting them i know of no more beautiful or more fitting theme for a sermon the ministers in my own village have already promised to preach on this subject 
and if their example is widely followed i believe that very great good will come of it miners lumbermen etc there seems to be no legitimate reason why the employees of mining and lumber camps should be permitted to live on the wild birds about them any more than they should be allowed to live on the crops and herds on the nearby farms if there are any in the old days when there were no railroads and when game was very plentiful it was of course perfectly right for pioneers of all kinds to live as best they could and to take the food which nature provided but now camps are too numerous to justify the men in living off the country and the game is not sufficiently abundant to stand it moreover there are now ample markets for the purchase of provisions of all kinds and in most places ample means of transporting these provisions save in very rare cases the feeding of the men is a problem to be solved by the men themselves or by their employer and they should not be allowed to solve it by stripping the country of game only a very small part of which may be said to belong to them how farmers can help and the farmers who more than any other one class perhaps are directly benefited by the birds should help with the work of protecting them they might begin by studying the birds at least enough to enable them to know their friends from their enemies for instance every farmer should be able to distinguish the two or three destructive hawks from all other hawks and forbid the shooting of any but the destructive kinds in their own interest they should oppose all legislation providing for a bounty on hawks and owls in eighteen eighty five the legislature of pennsylvania passed what was known as the scalp act which was supposed to be in the interest of the farmers and which provided for a bounty of fifty cents on each hawk owl weasel and mink killed within the limits of the state dr clinton hart merriam then ornithologist and mammologist of the united states department of agriculture in his report to the department estimated that to save a loss of possibly one thousand eight hundred and seventy five dollars a year through the destruction of poultry the state of pennsylvania had in a year and a half paid ninety thousand dollars he further reported that this money had been paid for the destruction of one hundred and twenty eight thousand five hundred and seventy one benefactors worth at least three million eight hundred and fifty seven thousand one hundred and thirty dollars to the agricultural interests of the state in other words that the state had for a year and a half been throwing away two thousand one hundred and five dollars for every dollar saved the small boy somehow i can never become very much worried over the question of a small boy with his air-gun and slingshot i know he does a lot of harm but as a rule he isn't pig-headed and as soon as someone he believes in will take the trouble to explain the situation to him he'll turn right round and become a bird protector of a very useful kind the harm he does is usually the fault of the people who have brought him up he may or may not have been told not to kill birds it's altogether too easy to tell boys not to do things that's why so many people do it it's much harder to give them good convincing reasons and then offer a satisfactory substitute for the thing forbidden a healthy normal boy is active in mind and body and he must have an outlet for both kinds of activity he'd much sooner have a live bird perched on his hand than a dead one in his pocket but unless his parents or guardians will take the trouble to teach him how to get the live bird he'll probably take a gun and come back with a dead one get him an interesting bird book or two and let him learn something about the birds take him to an illustrated lecture on birds occasionally when possible arrange to have him meet the man who wrote the book and the man who gave the lecture it will give him a feeling of confidence to know men who are interested in what he is doing or wants to do for the birds both the writer and the lecturer may be far too busy to talk to a man but if they're of the right kind they'll seldom be too busy to say just a few words of encouragement to a boy or to answer one or two of his questions if they can 
but there is nothing like active work for the birds to give the boy real enthusiasm encourage him to feed the birds to give them water and to put up nesting boxes for them and when the birds have become sufficiently tame let him photograph them that he may be able to show the results of his good work and thus encourage others to do similar work if there is a bird club in town let him join it if there isn't organize one or better still help him to organize it i am proud to say that i have many friends among the boys and most of them are loyal friends of the birds also one of them a boston lad of thirteen has organized two bird clubs issues a monthly paper on birds and the care of them and recently gave a talk which led to the establishment of a bird sanctuary let all grown-up bird lovers remember one of the best things judge ben lindsay ever said who stands in the presence of a boy whose confidence he has gained stands in the presence of a great opportunity and there are few if any of these remarks concerning boys which do not apply equally well to girls a word is to scientists as for scientific collectors the writer believes that they should be allowed to go about their work unhampered by petty restriction compared with other gunners they shoot few birds and these are generally made good use of the complaint that scientific men do not do their share in the work of wildlife conservation is generally unfair it is usually the cry of some conservationist who wishes he were scientific but is not who wishes to attract attention to his own work by belittling that of others or who does not appreciate the fact that the work he himself is doing is based largely on the work of the scientist the latter during years of patient research has worked out convincing facts which the unscientific conservationist often dashes off in a few conventional sentences without half realizing the enormous amount of effort they represent for example one of the strongest arguments in favor of preserving birds is that they have great economic value the facts which support this argument have been ascertained not by the men who shout them from the housetops but by quiet modest ornithologists who sit in their laboratories and whose names are seldom seen in the newspapers other men on the firing line do wonderfully effective work for the cause of wildlife conservation but sometimes they do not seem to realize that this work is made possible not so much by the noise of their own big guns as by the ammunition supplied to them by the scientific men who work without making any noise at all there are literally thousands of splendid men and women working for the protection of our wild birds and there will soon be many thousands more and they should know that the backbone of this bird conservation movement is made up chiefly of the scientific members of the american ornithologists union some of whom founded the original audubon society and who by patient unselfish toil through many years have laid the foundation for the equally important but far more spectacular work being done by others who are oftener in the public eye End of chapter eleven